I really don't want to make this priest feel bad, but I'm sure you've heard about a pastor in Arizona who recently realized that he'd been using the wrong formula for baptism and all the people he baptized since likely 1995 have to be re-baptized because those baptisms are invalid. You may remember from catechism class that all sacraments have a matter and a form. The matter is the physical stuff that is used for the sacrament. In the case of baptism, it is the water. You can't substitute the matter. The form are the words that are used. In the case of baptism, the words that have to be used are, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can't say, we baptize you, which is what this priest was saying. You have to say, I baptize you. And so, all those baptisms are invalid. And so are all the other sacraments that all those people received after they were baptized because they were not technically baptized. Now, we know that God works through the sacrament, but at the same time, God's action is not bound by the sacrament. So we can assume that if the intent was for them to be baptized, God's baptismal graces were likely received. However, there is no guarantee. So to be sure, they have to be rebaptized. As we enter this season of Lent, let's take the opportunity to renew our baptismal promises and benefit as much as we can from the baptismal graces that we have received as we live our baptism. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and with me... Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. You're no, that's okay. I'm gonna keep this. This is good. This I'm is Billy, Billy Chan. Being so excited, we haven't had Billy on the show for well a couple months, I guess. The last time you were on was December. So um, I'm just used to it to introduce myself without your introduction. I know, and I was gonna be nice and say, "With me is Billy Chan. We've missed you, Billy. I'm glad you're so excited to be back on the program." I'm always excited to see you, talk to you, and talk to everyone here. Yes, and, and we're always excited to have your questions. Um, your segment is still the one segment that everybody that I that I meet that says, Billy's so funny, and, and he's got so many good questions. So, uh, and in fact, I was, uh, I, I went to, I had the chance to go to a, uh, a school. I, I joined yeah. them virtually, a grade okay. six class, and the teacher contacted me because he listens to the Salt and Light Hour, and he specifically talked about church for dummies and how we ask some very good questions. And he always brings up those questions with his grade six students. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I think I, I'm, I'm just so happy that everyone understand my accent. You know, this is what I, 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 <laughs> I am very happy. Yeah. Anyway, I should maybe do a shout out because it's Mr. Dan Capozzi and his uh, grade six class. Um, so um, Billy today, uh, we are going to be joined by Ed Clancy of Aid to the Church in Need, uh, USA. He, uh, you know that they've been doing a segment once a month with us called Where God Helps. Yeah. Uh, highlighting the, the, the wonderful work that the Aid to the Church in Need does. And uh, we're very sad about the situation that is happening in Ukraine right now. But Aid to the Church in Need is doing a lot of really good work there. Actually, all the Ukrainian that I know and everyone that in, in the whole whole world that 
they, we all pray for them. I mean, right. You know, for the peace and everything. Yeah. I, and I think that that's part of what we're going to talk about with Ed Clancy. Um, but he's also going to give us some, some background because they have people on the ground in Ukraine. And so mm-hmm. sometimes what you hear in the news is not what's really happening. So uh, that's Ed Clancy uh, of Aid to the Church in Need with Where God Helps in about five minutes. And then, Billy, you're on with Church for Dummies. What's our question today? Yes, the, this question, actually, a lot of people are asking me, and I, I, I just forgot every time that I meet you. I, <laughs> I, you know, it's a very simple one, but it's about the host again. You know, you know, a lot of questions about the host uh, all the about- time. Okay, about the host at mass. Okay, sure. Okay, hopefully I can answer it. I should know a few things about the host, considering I'm a deacon. Um, So that's Church for Dummies with Billy in about 15 minutes. And then Billy, I don't know if you remember, um, a few years ago, we spoke to an author. Her her name is Fiorella de Maria, um, who had written a book about a father gabriel mysteries she has a whole book series father gabriel mysteries she's a british maybe you don't remember um, i don't <laughs> but no we had her on the show she spoke about it, this father gabriel mysteries i think it was the the, the last of the series called see no evil well she mm. now has a new novel that really delves into the question of evil and darkness uh, it's a book that billy chan might like um <laughs> did you did you ever hear about remember the old uh dracula films oh oh yeah i, I remember yeah so and the actor have... the actor who played dracula is yeah. uh, uh bella lugosi okay bella lugosi was the actor who was made famous by playing dracula on the, those movies and so this novel looks it's a fiction but it looks at what it could have been the last days or the last months in the life of bella lugosi um, oh, and, wow. and you're probably wondering what's the connection with the Catholic church or with our faith. And with um, Dracula, yes. Well, well, it, it does deal with evil and, and darkness. Um, but, uh, you'll have to stay tuned to listen to my conversation with Fiorella so you can find out what the connection is with the faith. Very interesting novel. I, I, uh, I had, a it was a very good read. So, so I'll be speaking with, uh, Fiorella de Maria in our second half hour in about 25 minutes. And we'll be talking about Dracula. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be reconnecting with Bob Halligan Jr. of the band, Kaylee Rain and Billy. You will not remember this because you were probably not born yet. Um, (laughs) Bob Halligan Jr. is one of the greats when it comes to making Catholic music. Um, He and his band, Kaylee Rain, have been making great rock music with an Irish feel for decades. We spoke with Bob Halligan in this program in November 2010. Oh, I was was not even in Southern Night yet. 12 years ago. Okay, so... And at, at that time, yeah, Kaylee Rain and Bob Halligan had been doing music for over 30 years. So wow, he, he's how? been around the block a few times um, and he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped making music. In fact, Kaylee Rain is now uh, just ready to release uh, their latest album, a new album. Wow. So we're going to be able to play some of the music today. And uh, that's exciting because it's the first time anybody's going to hear any of these tracks because the album's not out yet. And then we'll speak with Bob Halligan Jr. in about 45 minutes. So it's just so good to know somebody can do something like, 
you know, for forever. And, and they like forever. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> um, he has been around forever. He, he doesn't look like he's 100 years old. Um, he must have started when he was very young. Uh, okay. But he's uh, he's certainly been a long-lasting contribution to Catholic music. And if people like uh, Irish music, Celtic music, uh, mm-hmm. and and this is 100% Catholic music, uh, and they haven't heard about Kaylee Rain, you want to stick around and listen to uh, some of the music yeah. and to my conversation with Bob Halligan uh, at the end of the program. And Billy, if people cannot stay to the end of the program, what do they do? They have to come to everywhere. So basically, basically <laughs> Facebook, our, our website, uh, Instagram, every, everywhere. Just come and, and talk to us yes. and uh, listen to us. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And, and then anywhere you get your podcast, you can subscribe and, uh, and listen to the program that way. Okay, so let's start with a song. Here's a new song, never heard before, anywhere. Um, Kaylee Rain with used to be white from their new album crash this gate this tired old shower towel used to be white my tattered tainted soul used to be white well it wasn't just my skin it was the shape my mind was in it used to be Used to be white to be white yeah my record in deportment used to be white my friends were an assortment of nothing but white when it wasn't just a part it was the whole color of my heart That was Kaylee Rain with Used to Be White from their new album, Crash This Gate. And we're going to be speaking with Bob Halligan Jr. of Kaylee Rain in about 40 minutes. So I hope that you'll still be around for that. Now it's time for... Where God Helps with Ed Clancy of Aid to the Church in Need USA. Ed, welcome back. It's good to see you. Thank you, Deacon. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Now, at the time that we are recording this, Ed, uh, the news have been that an invasion of Ukraine by Russia is imminent. It hasn't happened yet, uh, but maybe by the time we go to air, it it would have happened. Um, What can you tell us about what's happening on the ground uh, in Ukraine right now? Well, we had the great 
privilege of, uh, of having a sit-down interview with his Beatitudes, Vladislav Shevchuk, the major archbishop of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, and um, also with um, Archbishop Vladislavos Kovokos, the Apostolic Nuncio of Ukraine. And the two archbishops gave us a, an insight into how um, the situation is affecting the church and the people on the ground. Um, you know, uh, St. John Paul II was a great proponent of subsidiarity. And that's, that's the, yep. the basic way we see the church in the world. We don't trust leaders so much as we trust the people on the ground to tell us what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so um, his beatitude essentially was saying that the, the people of the Ukraine are essentially pawns in a battle between uh, superpowers or powers. And unfortunately, it's not affecting them well, as you can imagine, uh, the people are in, in great need. And so Archbishop uh, Shevchuk was talking about this, this new four-dimensional war or uh, um, crisis on their, in their country. And it's a military aspect with the foreign troops on the borders and you know, the troops within. Then there's this propaganda and hybrid war uh, that's causing sort of trying to distress and disunion from within. And then, of course, you have the political aspects of it. And, uh, and the last part is the economic war. And that's essentially where the, the different groups are using the economy of the local people to force something to happen. Mm. And um, this, is, this is causing great trouble within the church and within the communities. The hopefulness of this is that uh, the archbishop said that in January, the, the bishops of the Greek Catholic Church met in a synod to discuss what is happening and what to do. And uh, the thing that they focused on was to say that we should uh, preach hope in the face of pessimism because right. God is yeah. with us always. And you know the situation for the, the church there is, is unique in that the Greek Catholic Church is a, is a small maybe 10, 15% of the total population mm -hmm. uh, as, as opposed to say the 60 or more percent that might consider themselves Orthodox. And okay. then you have groups of others, the Jewish and non-believers that they might call themselves. And these, all these different groups in ascension, essentially are being used as pawns to create conflict from within. Mm. And so the Greek Catholic church sees themselves in a position of creating union um, and creating communication between these groups, because all of them, for the most part, don't want any part of this war. Right. They really just want to go back to living their lives, practicing their faith, and helping themselves within their communities. Right. And so that's what he thinks the most important aspect of this is to do. Right. And so uh, Archbishop Shevchuk said that they are in regular communication with the Orthodox Church and with the, um, the other non-church believers, you know, the, the, the Jewish community, as well as the non-believers. Mm -hmm. And they are creating a good system of consolidation, as he called it, um, a, a way to communicate about the, the really important needs of the people. Right. So how is the situation with, with the people on, on the ground? I mean, even without the threat of an invasion? The situation in Ukraine is, is very difficult across the whole country, but in, in particular in the southeast and eastern portion of Ukraine, 
um, the Greek Catholic bishops there, I mean, Greek Catholic priests there literally live below the poverty line. They do not have enough income from, you know, the contributions of the people and the support of the local church to even feed themselves. So they, they desperately need the help from outside, from the greater church in the Ukraine, which now is very stretched very thin, but also from the church internationally. And that's something that we're doing to help them. And of course, whenever the church is helped, the people are helped because oftentimes they're not just feeding themselves, they're feeding the poor families and they're helping with um, some of the, the basic needs, the communication, the, the care for the elderly. Um, we had a story recently of the families that are now literally tearing apart their homes and burning furniture and the planks of wood in the floor in order to heat the home and yes. you know to cook some food. Yeah. And the issue that's pressing right now, aside from you know the cold, is the possibility of food deprivation. That as many as 10 million people could be fall in that into that category, which means they will start to be malnourished if they aren't already. And that's one quarter of the population of the Ukraine. And this is reminiscent of what happened 100 years ago when uh, you know Stalin then essentially starved the people of the Ukraine and millions died because of it. So it is a repeat of history that we don't want to see. And that's why the church is acting to build this community from within, for neighbor to help neighbor and to help to communicate the needs of each other. And it's vital right now. And the, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is serving an incredible need in this area. Yeah, it's good to, good to know that the churches are trusted generally by the people. And so us in, in the West that are able to help the churches through organizations like Aid to the Church in Need, that in turn will help everyone. Yes, and interestingly, the, the Archbishop said that the one of the greatest voices of, of unity for the Ukrainian people has been Pope Francis, that all sides listen when he speaks. And so when he, he called for prayer and he called for you know, the international community to wage peace and not war, it really resonated. And so in response to that, the Ukrainian uh, bishops asked the people of the Ukraine and the people of the West and all over the world to take time to pray the rosary for peace in Ukraine. And so each night at 8 p.m. their time, 7 p.m. European time, and 1 p.m. East Coast North America time, mm. they are joining in praying the rosary for peace. And uh, they really believe that the, the prayer will turn the tide. And I agree with them that this is something that will work well because it does create unity. Okay, that's that's a very tangible thing. I was going to ask you what people can do to help, and I know they can help through supporting aid to the church in need. But something even better is the joining every day at one o'clock east or wherever your your time uh, zone is, and pray the rosary for Ukraine, yes. or, or pray the rosary for Ukraine at any time of the day. <laughs> it doesn't have to be at the same time. Yes, prayer is prayer is universal. So and yes. and also if you you know if your day is is too busy even though Mother Teresa says it's never too busy, never, yes. uh, too busy for the full rosary, then say, say a memorari, say 10 Hail Marys. Yes. Uh, just make that effort. Make that effort. Work. Exactly. Um, Ed, thank you so much. Um, I, I know that we're going to be listening to the news and see, uh, expecting what's going to be happening in, uh, in that region of the world. And, and hopefully nothing much will happen, but we need still need to support the people that are suffering on the ground. And that's what's not in the news. So it's good to have organizations like Aid to the Church in Need that are in there 
um, not just getting us information, but also uh, helping, helping the people. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for telling us about it today. You're very welcome. And we, we will keep uh, hope in light of pessimism and know that God is always with us. Edward Clancy is the Director of Outreach at Aid to the Church in Need USA. You can find out more about Aid to the Church in Need at their website, churchinneed.org, and, and you'll be able to find specific information about Ukraine there at their website as well. And in Canada, you can visit acn-canada.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Cooper Ray, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. The Salt and Light Hour podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, and the show will be delivered right to your device. And now it's time for Church for Dummies with Billy Chan. Who? There you go. So that was your cue. That's when you get to introduce yeah. yourself, Billy. Yeah. No, I was just used to you know like before I you know every you know once you know every every week. I know. I know. I know. I know. And I, know. I would just say I am Billy, and, and I would just, I still remember your pointing finger, right? You know, so My, I cueing you. You're cueing me, and also uh, Emily. Oh, you know? Emily! Yes, a uh, shout out to Emily for all our listeners who might be missing Emily. Um, and I was just going to say, were you listening to Ed Clancy, who, who, as you said, he finished by saying, "Pray the Rosary for Ukraine," and apparently there's a whole group community that's playing the Rosary. Um, in case anybody missed that segment at one o'clock uh, Eastern every day, they're praying the rosary for Ukraine. So, Billy, you have some questions about the host, about the Eucharist, about Mass? Yes, it's actually about the host, about the when when the priest consecrate the host. You know, first of all, you know, I, I, I you know, I sidetrack uh, a, a lot of I, I taught Sunday school and, you know, the most asked the question uh, when I talk about uh, the host consecration is uh, when uh, the host become Jesus, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, which moment, which second it became. So, you know, this is the famous question, but I'm not asking this. Okay. I'm actually asked, <laughs> actually asked you know, uh, when, when we go to the church every day, every, every Sunday, uh, when the priest consecrate the host, um, uh, there is a moment that the priests, uh, put a little bit of host uh, to the to the to the wine. Yes. So why do they do this? Okay. So um, it's good that you've been paying attention because because sometimes you don't you don't see what the priest is doing. But yes. So this 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 practice it's of dropping a piece of the consecrated bread in the wine, um, I think it's very um, um, simply, it, it's to signify that there's a unity between the body, the host, and the blood in the wine in the work of salvation. So it's all the same thing um, because you're not, you don't have to receive the cup, the chalice at mass. You only have to receive under one species. So you could only receive the wine. You don't have to receive the host, but obviously most, most parishes will only distribute the host because the wine is just more expensive. Um, and of course, during the pandemic, nobody's been receiving uh, from the chalice. So, but to show that there's a unity, that little piece is put in the wine. Now it's possible 
that historically that practice actually started because of a different reason. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but it's possible that it also had to do with uh, taking the, the, the sacrament to people who couldn't come to mass. And it's possible that that was a way to make sure that if they could only take the wine, that the people who were receiving the wine and not the host would receive also a little bit of the host because oh. they would all drink from the. So I think it might have might have started that way. Okay. Um, and now, of course, that's not done because we don't it's... ever take the wine to to people who don't receive the Eucharist. But but it but it's still the same symbolic. It, it still has the same symbolic meaning. Is it an obligation or is it mandatory to do that? Uh, yes, it's it's actually in the instructions. Okay. Um, that the so so the fraction rite that's what it's called when the priest so just be just uh during the lamb of god that's when yeah. the priest has to break the bread that that part of the mass is called the fraction okay yeah 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 and he breaks the bread in i think it's actually three pieces oh three pieces it is okay. three pieces i mean he'll break it first in half when he consecrate when he says you know take and eat uh-huh. um but then it's three pieces because one for the for the celebrant to consume And then yeah. the other piece, he breaks in two, one to uh, to give to any of the other concelebrating priests or the deacon. Okay. And then the third piece gets broken into smaller pieces and it's put uh, a little bit in each of the ciboria. Uh -huh. And that again, it's symbolizing because or originally it would have been that everybody just gets a piece of the bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just I mean, like Jesus, right? Just, just like, like Jesus. So if you had, let's say, if you had mass with only five people, you would have one big host that would be broken into five pieces. Mm -hmm. Now you can't do that at mass because you have 300 people. So, and, and a lot of times we have pre-consecrated hosts that were reserved. So to symbolize again, that it's all united to that one host that was consecrated at that mass, he'll put a, a, a piece or pieces of that big host um, or of hosts that were consecrated at that mass in each of the ciboria. I see. I see. So basically it's symbolic uh, about separating from one to everyone. Yes. So it's, it's, it's just, just like what Jesus did for the 12 disciples, uh, uh, you know, uh, do that uh, in mass. Now, yes. you know, let's backtrack a little bit. You know, we, the priest not only put a little piece of host, They also put something else into the wine, which is a little bit of water. Yes. So, you know, when we, we know as an auto server, you know, you, 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 you need to prepare a, a little bottle of water and a little bottle of wine. But, you know, uh, the, the priest will use the whole, the, the whole bottle of wine and just a little bit of water into the chalice. Why do they do this? Yes. And in fact, um, That's usually if there's a deacon, that's 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 a deacon that does it. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So do you do you know what the words are when we put the water into wine? So there there's a little prayer that we say when we put the oh. water into wine, and we say may may the may, may the mingling yeah. of this water and wine. Um, see now that I'm not at mass, I can't <laughs> think of how it goes. May the mingling of this water and wine um, make us participate in the divinity of Christ, who humbles himself to partake in our humanity. So the wine is symbolic of the divinity of Christ. The water is symbolic of our humanity or the humanity of Christ oh, and wow. them coming together. So may the mingling of this water and wine um, 
by the mingling of this water and wine, may we come to part partake in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So that's, that's what it's symbolic. Um, because once you put the water in the wine, you can't take it out. I see. I see. So basically, you know, everything, you know, it, it just sounds so beautiful. You know, when you talk about that, uh, we basically combine, you know, like one bread and combine the wine, the blood of Jesus and us, the humanity, combine it into one, everything into one. And, and we distribute it again to everyone. So I, I just find that the whole picture is so beautiful like that. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking of the words of St. Paul, where he says, is it not one cup, one chalice that we partake? Is it not one, right? And I think that you're right, that ideally, I mean, ideally, we all drink out of the same chalice. I mean, we do when we when we, yeah. when we are able to. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we are all partaking of the same chalice. We're all partaking of the same bread. Um, and, and, and also, you know, you know, Easter is not far away, right? You know, it's just like a, a month or something uh, from us. And uh, the Easter candle is just like that, you know, in Easter visual. It's the same know? thing. Yes. Yes. You're right. right. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. Symbolically, everybody that is baptized um, receives the same flame, the same fire. Of course, it's not really the same flame, but it's symbolic of that fire that was consecrated or blessed at the Easter Vigil. And then every single baptism for the whole year comes from the same, the same flame. Yes. Yeah, yeah it is very beautiful. It's very beautiful, you know, symbolic the unity and to like, you know, go and, 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 and do whatever I said, you know, things like that. So. I mean, I mean, what Jesus said, right? So it's, it's amazing. It's very good. All right. Good questions, Billy. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Thank you. Billy Chan, always asking good questions. You can follow him at B. Joe Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, Fiorella de Maria on her new novel, This Thing of Darkness, and a featured chat with Bob Halligan Jr. of Kaylee Rain. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Fiorella de Maria is an award-winning novelist, writer, and radio broadcaster. We met her a few years ago when her novel, See No Evil, the third in the Father Gabriel Mysteries, was published. Now Fiorella has a new novel co-authored with Kevin Turley titled This Thing of Darkness. In it, they take us into the world of classic horror cinema, and the shadows that haunt the main characters as their histories and destinies begin to intertwine. To tell us more, I'm now joined by Fiorella de Maria. Fiorella, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's lovely to be on the show. So t tell us a little bit about the story. What is this thing of darkness about? Well, if you imagine, it's Los Angeles, it's 1956, and you have an English journalist. She's a war widow. She was a GI bride, you know, came to America for a new life with her American husband. He's disappeared in the Korean War. She's all alone, has a lot of demons, a lot of struggles. And she is asked to do a series of interviews with the fading horror star Bella Lugosi. And over the course of the book, over the course of these interviews, she starts to become very suspicious about what is really going on. And she's questioning her own sanity. But 
various other figures come into the story to assist her or challenge her. Mm. But right through to the end of the story, it is not at all clear what is actually happening to her. Yes, and I and that's the sense I got from reading it as well that it that that it was very much towards the end that everything started falling into place. But let me ask you why. I mean, I'm not. I think I'm, it's fair for me to say that you're not. Horror is not your genre. I don't know if you would say that this is a, a horror novel. Uh, may, maybe you would. But why? Why Bella Lugosi? Why go into this direction? Well, I was rather dragged kicking and screaming into the horror genre. It's not at all my genre, as as you've already um, suggested. I'm really a writer of historical fiction and mm. and more recently crime fiction with the Father Gabriel mysteries. But my friend Kevin Turley, who's the co-author, is fascinated by the horror industry. He knows every movie, every director, and he was the one who came up with the idea. What about writing a sort of alternative history of Bela Lugosi, who of course is the actor who is famous for Dracula. In fact, it's the film that defined him and was both a blessing and a curse to him. All our images of Dracula even today are based on Bela Lugosi, even the Dracula in in Sesame Street (laughs) is Bela Lugosi, if you think about it. Yes, that's true. Uh, The Count, yes. Um, And Initially, I was extremely sceptical, and that is why, in fact, the English journalist Evie is also sceptical. Mm-hmm. And her question, her first question when she's asked to do this is, Bella who? Uh, right. Because that was my first question. I had no idea who Bella Lugosi was. I'd never seen the original mm-hmm. Dracula film. Yeah, so this was a huge departure for me and, and a great journey. And in fact, I got very drawn into this, as, as one does, really, with, with the horror genre. And ended up thoroughly enjoying co-authoring the book. And it was a very interesting experience co-authoring as well, of course. And I mean, I mean, you did define yourself as a historical novelist. I mean, it's, this is not history, but there are historical aspects to it. Mm. Correct. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because it is set in the fifties. And of course it is, it surrounds Bela Lugosi's life story. And he was very much a man whose life, crossed the 19th and 20th centuries and the old world and the new world you know he came from well he didn't in fact come from Transylvania that was a bit of a construction but from very near to Transylvania and then coming across across of course to Hollywood and much of the research about Bela Lugosi's life was done by Kevin Turley I did most of the research about the Korean War which of course looms very large because in the book, of course, you get this constant conflict between the real horror of the two world wars, of what was going on in Korea, but also the horror that's being unleashed upon the world by Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, the, the, the choice to go to, to, to write something about the horrors that for a lot of people are very real. You don't have to go to the movies to, to experience horror. And, and those are worse. Um, yeah. is, is that what you and Kevin were hoping to do to dealing with these topics in a way that was, I hate to say, but maybe a little more fun as we sort of imagine what the last days of Bela Lugosi would have been like? Oh, there's, no, there's certainly an, an element of entertainment to it. You know, we are interested in, in Hollywood and in these, in these actors. And so th- that aspect of it, the way they made the films, the whole background 
through which Bela Lugosi entered the, the world of acting. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I very much uh, enjoyed some of my favourite parts of the book to write yeah. were those early passages where he's in the circus and yes. um, he's yes. making those early films in, in Germany during the Weimar Republic when all of that was just starting. Right. But Kevin and I had a lot of conversations about that possible link between that darkness of the horror genre that really had its birth in Germany during that interwar period mm-hmm. and all that occult activity and, and stuff that like that that was going on at the time and then the very real horrors of Nazi Germany that followed mm-hmm. uh, and so many of those actors and directors ended up caught up on either side of that conflict right. uh, when 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 Hitler came to power right is there is there a connection with faith? Oh, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important for Catholic writers to be writing in this genre, because I was going to ask you that. Yeah, too. well, a lot. Every time I'm interviewed, I'm asked, you know, what is a Catholic girl doing writing writing about horror? But uh, something KV and I, uh, Kevin and I talked about a lot is that we are uniquely positioned to write about horror because, for a start, we understand the reality of the supernatural. Mm. And the reality of the demonic in our lives, you know, we are aware of that threat, but we are also aware of the communion of saints, the fact that we don't have to face these horrors alone and unarmed. So I think Catholic writers definitely should be writing in this genre. So so would you say that part of the novel is a, is a warning against sin or dabbling in the occult or pride or, or, or performing in horror movies? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think there is certainly a warning there about the dangers of not taking the occult seriously. Okay. Um, that it's possible. I mean, there's that early scene, and this is completely fictitious, where mm-hmm. the young Bela Lugosi is trying to start a seance, you know, and they're all in the, the barn with the candles and his father comes in and drags them all out of the, the barn and it, it ends rather anticlimactically. But that was completely fictional. I just made that up. But yeah. Uh, but it, it is a warning that you can't partly dabble in the occult. You know, it's it's wrong, it's very real, and it's extremely dangerous. So I suppose there is that warning there. But the Miraculous Medal is on the front cover of the novel for a reason. Yes, yes Because, of yes. course, and I don't want to give away too much about what happens later on in the novel, but what you do see is that there is also blessing and there is the, there's the work of the Holy Spirit going on in Evie's life mm-hmm. without her realizing. In fact, she thinks she is completely alone because she's a widow, because she's been bereft in this way, mm-hmm. but she is never alone. And even in the, the moments when she is in the, the most terrible mortal danger, she is not alone. There is always someone there to stand stand by her side. Yes, and I think that that's, you can correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, but what makes it Christian or Catholic is that it's that the characters are redeemed or, or have the option of being redeemed. Again, I'm not going to give away the ending, yes. but, but uh, it doesn't end in horror and darkness that we no. were moved beyond that. Um, Fiorella, thank you for, for telling us a little bit of, of, about this. I was very intrigued when I heard about, about this novel 
um, and and read it over the Christmas break, which I'm <laughs> <was laughs> not sure that was the right time. Really, not, not the best thing to read over Christmas, but uh, definitely entertaining, as you said, and uh, very much food for thought. It has moments of of, of deep horror, I think, but mm. the horror is not yeah. what happens in the movies. It's what happened, you know, in 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 the lives of real people uh, because sure. of the war. And so, um, thank you for opening the door for us so that we can uh, face some of that. Because I think that's maybe a warning too. Running away from our past or not mm -hmm. not willing to face some of our own demons is also uh, something that we should not do. We should face our demons. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you. It's been nice to be on the show again. Yes, good to see you. Fiorella de Maria is the author of many novels, including the Father Gabriel Mysteries series. Her latest is This Thing of Darkness, co-authored by K.V. Turley and is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Kaylee Rain, with I Can Believe from their new album, Crash This Gate. I can believe in the sun when it's not shining I can believe in a face it's not smiling And so when people are hurt and sick and dying I can believe in you I can believe in a wheel when it's not spinning I can believe in a team it's not winning And so when people are cold-heartedly sinning I can believe in you I can believe in you I can believe in you I can believe Kaylee Rain with I Can Believe from their new album, Crash This Gate. When I first started getting into the world of Catholic music, I heard about Kaylee Rain and was amazed by the mainstream sound of their Celtic rock blend. We met the founder and lead singer of the band, Bob Halligan Jr., 12 years ago on this program, and at that time, he had already been doing music for over 30 years. It's been a long time, but Bob Halligan has not stopped. And now, Kaylee Rain has a new album, which we've been listening to, Crash This Gate, their ninth studio album. And so to tell us more, 
I'm now joined by Bob Halligan Jr. Bob, it's so good to have you back on the program. Well, it's so lovely to be invited there, Deacon Pedro. Thank you very much. Yes, you, um, and I, I hate to keep saying this, but you've been around for a long time. Yes. Um, you had, a, I think, a, a pretty good secular career or a career in secular music before Kaylee Rain. Um, right. Were you were you always Catholic, or did, was there a conversion that took place there somewhere? Well, it's both uh, yes and yes. I was born in Our Lady of Victory Foundling Home, not too far from, I suspect, where you live, in Lackawanna, New York. Okay. Uh, so I was born in a Catholic building and adopted at age two months because I was a foundling. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, Yes, I've had a, a, a long history as an altar boy, choir boy, lecturer at First Friday Mass, kid most likely to be a priest. Um, girls intervened on that one, but <laughs> one girl in particular, Linda, who I'm married to now 46 years. Wonderful. Yeah, amen. And um, Linda, in fact, precipitated my becoming more excited and focused and faith-filled. After we got married, she was going to prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. And and I I was sort of jealous, like Jesus was the other man kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I said, tell me more about that. And so, you know, actually having Jesus other than in church and religion class and CBA and whatever else um, was new for me. And so now I'm a, you know, a, a praying unceasingly sort of fellow and have been for many, many years. So this was happening before Kaylee Rain. So what was, oh, yeah. what precipitated the forming of the band? I believe 1995 was when yeah, Kaylee Rain came together. Yeah, exactly right. And, and um, my wife, Linda, suggested that I combine my newfound love of Celtic music with my rock and roll. Okay. To which I responded, well, if you want to kill my career, you'll have me do that. And uh, in fact, it got me very excited right away. And I knew that there had to be a spiritual component to the lyric. And I also wanted it to fly in any faith world and in any non-faith world. Meaning um, I wanted Kaylee Rain's audience uh, to if we played in a pub to, you know, have a beer, have a Guinness, but if they so chose and sort of smelled the uh, spiritual aroma that they might imbibe a different kind of spirit Mm -hmm. with us. Yes. And so, and I had people early on say, well, Bob, you should decide, is this going to be a secular band or a Christian band? And I said, I have decided it's going to be Kaylee rain Hmm. and it's going to, be for everyone, not just people who make the sign of the cross or, or, or revile that notion or whatever it is, right? All God or no God, you know, we, we want it to be for one and for all. So for people who have no clue, why Kaylee, what's, what's the meaning of the word? Uh, two things to say about it. Kaylee is, is a Gaelic word that refers to a party Think of like a wedding reception mm-hmm. where there's music, uh, there's dancing, there might be a bit of alcohol. Do you know what I mean? Just a bit. And 
Um, but Celi, C-O-E-L-I, which you may know from the Latin, of heaven, like something celestial, right? right. So we mean the band, and then the rain part is obvious. So we mean it to be a downpour of heavenly partiness. Yes. And that's what it has always tried to be for one and for all. It has been that absolutely. Yeah, um, cool. Sometimes more partiness than heavenly, but but sometimes more <laughs> yeah. heavenly. Um, so so, I I don't know if I knew that you were adopted. So yeah, I mean because I was going to say, well, Halligan, that sounds pretty Irish. Yeah. Um, but you don't know if your heritage. I do. Is actually, I oh, do. I, I'm 200 Irish. Uh, you, you are. All four of my parents, both adoptive and and oh, biological. Wonderful. We're 100 Irish, so so uh, that love of Irish music. I mean, it's in your blood. You yeah. grew up with it, um, right? You could have gone into. I mean, you could have just done any kind of music and made it Christian or not. Yeah. So, yeah, it, was it as simple as I love Celtic music? I love Irish music. Well, you know, I didn't really love it until Linda was playing it around the house when we were in our 30s, and okay. um, so that was the point at which I thought, well, let's mix it in. And because uh, I'd always done the rock and roll, uh, you're since you're doing a podcast, your audience cannot see behind me. Yes, that's various true. gold and platinum records yes. on the wall. There All are nine of them. Point. Yeah. And uh, I've sold over 30 million units with records by um, Kiss, Judas Priest, Blue Oyster Cult, Joan right. Jett, Cher, Michael Bolton. Rebecca St. James, who's a Christian artist, mm -hmm. songs in movies like uh, Wayne's World included in them, uh, half a dozen feature films that have featured my songs. I've sung on commercials. I sang before the Pope in uh, I'm doing my elevator speech here. Yes, Sorry. you are. You, and uh, you, I but, know, you know. I, I mean, I, you've been around the block a few times. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I, I wasn't kidding when I said, I mean, quite, quite the career since i mean before kayla rain but even since because you continue uh as a songwriter for for yep. other artists as well um yep. I'm, I'm a little i'm looking at the clock here bob just wondering worried that we're going to run out of time and not talk about the new album yes. um so so why don't we, what what is what is new so this is your ninth kayla ninth. ninth studio album yeah what what's what's different about this album Oh, gosh. I, I, it's just uh, another hunk of cheese off the same giant wheel of cheese. So it's, <laughs> it's not really anything different, Pedro, is, but it's, it's a more it's, heavenly, heavenly partiness. Well, yeah. And it's it's just whatever are the best 12 songs that were available to me and our okay. group at at this moment. So that's what's different is that it's this year's model but some of the songs are from 20 years ago okay okay so, so i mean you're it's fair to say that i think you're a song you're a songwriter i don't know if you think of yourself as a songwriter first first and foremost um, but i presume that you're always songwriting then like there's always yeah. music inside your head um was the pandemic uh, uh, especially fruitful or difficult time for you it was fruitful in fact there are three pando songs on the record um one of which is called 10 million and uh mm -hmm. starts out um uh 10 more days of being here all alone are feeling more and more like torture i worry about the uh, on and on i i forget it but right. um so three songs sprang from it uh, um, many did but three have made many their way onto the, the record and um 
they still apply. I mean, we're not out of this yet. Yeah. And uh, um, so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's f- fruit wherever you care to look if, if you kind of know where to look and, and you're mm-hmm. in God's space and time and, and excited mm-hmm. about what's to come rather than, come on, I wanted X or Y or Z. God gives you what he gives you and, and it's, you got to be excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Why crash this gate? Okay. Um, the song is written about when our son, Liam Halligan, joined the Marines, and they have a sort of crucible couple of days of to test them in the end of their boot camp to be sure that they have the right stuff, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mama and Papa Bear were not able to be there, of course. And so reaching across, I said, you know, if if I could, if there were any way I could, I would crash this gate for you. I would hoist this weight for you. I'd take your steps and sweat your sweats and give all that's left for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it mirrors the love that our big father has for us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and the, the album artwork isn't done yet, but it's going to be a, a, a wrought iron gate um, with the word fear somehow emblazoned, you know, curling, yeah, curling yes, through yes. this gate that we have to crash through. And that's what the, a lot of what the pandemic has been about for right. me personally is crashing through the gate of fear that that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit insist that we crash through because God is saying, you know what, my, my arm is too short to manage this. Mm-hmm. It's not strong enough to mm-hmm. knock this baby out of your way. Yes. So, and and it's a daily struggle for me, and I think it is for lots of us. It is, it is, and uh, we we're very blessed to have music like yours to help us Thank in you. that struggle and inspire us uh, as we muster up the strength that we need to crash the gate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, Bob, it's been, it's been good chatting with you. It's good seeing you. You look great. Um, Th- and, thank uh, you, sir. Uh, thank you for doing what you do. And I know that you're going to keep doing it. So um, we won't wait another 12 years before we have you back. on. Excellent. The I like the sound of that. Thank all you, right. Pedro. God bless. You too. You can learn all about Bob Halligan Jr. and Kaylee Rain and find out when their new album, Crash This Gate, will be released at their website, KayleeRain.com and Kaylee is spelled C-E-I-L-I Kaylee but I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily if you missed part of the interview head on over to slmedia.org podcast all our programs are archived there here now to take us out is Kaylee Rain with the title track of their new album Crash This Gate I've cleared a path the best I can but you must work with your own hand To see this business through Get where you're going to You set aside the childish things Now this bold endeavor brings Things only you can do But if I were able to I'd crash this cage for you
listening to Kaylee Rain with Crash This Gate from their new album of the same name, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can find the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, but if you prefer, you can listen to all our shows at slmedia.org slash podcasts. If you do the social media thing, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email me, pedro, at slmedia.org. I respond to every single email or message that I receive. Next week, Jillian will be back with what she learned from her kids this month, and Jermaine will have some good reading suggestions. We'll also be speaking with Katie Zulanis of the Couple to Couples League about the new Online Fertility Science Institute, and also with singer-songwriter John Finch, who has some new music. So I hope that you'll be able to join us for all of that. Remember to stay safe, continue praying for each other, Let's continue praying for Ukraine and Russia and take care of each other and have a blessed Ash Wednesday and beginning to the Lenten season. I'm Deacon Pedro and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.